You're listening to the King's Church Podcast. Visit us online at kingswisbeach.org.uk. When I first began in Christian ministry, I used these books for um, teaching children. And when I bought them, they were 25 pence each. Um, I've still got them because I... I think they're quite good. They're they're very well drawn. But uh, on this one, it's uh, questioning um, the Bible, the authority of the Bible, and how people decide what is right or wrong. There's a little cartoon here saying, Bill the burglar, and the picture, do burglars go around with masks and striped shirts on? (laughs) Oh, you're a burglar. (laughs) So he's wanted Bill the burglar. Uh, But Bill says it's all right to steal, but he's a burglar. Bob says it isn't, but he's a policeman. Now, I've known young men, well, men who were in their youth, younger men, who thought it was perfectly right to steal cars. They had no conscience about it. I've met young men who have absolutely no conscience, ill feeling about selling drugs. They thought it was a business. And how do we determine what is right and what is wrong? The first thing as Christians is that um, we are subject to the laws of the land. Um, This week I got a speeding fine. So I think, you know, I'm a man without reputation. I ought to step down from office. Actually, (laughs) there are mitigating circumstances, but I broke the law. So I've got to pay the the price and the, the consequences. And part of our citizenship of this land is obeying the laws of the land. But how does that relate to our citizenship of the kingdom of God? Well, we need to lay down as a first principle um, what the Bible says. And when Paul is giving instructions to uh, his apprentice Timothy... He writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I urge then the church, first of all, the first request is that prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we, we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And there... Government has been instituted according to the, to the word of God so that as a society we could live orderly and peaceful lives. And I think, well, I'm blessed. I feel blessed that I live in a democracy. I don't live under a dictatorship. And we know the quote from Winston Churchill who once said, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others that have been tried. And we have the responsibility and the privilege of voting in those who makes our laws. But when Paul wrote that to Timothy, they were living under a godless authority of the Roman Empire. And the emperor, Nero, was notorious for his cruelty and his iron fist rule. But yet the the Christians and the church are called to pray that that government may bring peace and orderly 
lives. And in our culture, government is by consent because we live in a democracy. Otherwise, everyone does what is right in their own eyes. I can drive on whichever side of the road I like and I can go whatever speed I like. Um, And anarchy breaks out. And I've seen that happen. And we see it in the bad driving in Wisbeach. One day, uh, t- taking the road to Guy Hearn, some youths, they were youths in a car, decided to take a shortcut and deliberately drove round the roundabout the wrong way so they could jump the traffic. You think? And the law is there for our care and consideration of others. This is how to conduct yourselves. And we need to conform. Um, And if we break the law, there's consequences. If you don't deal with your taxes honestly, as famous people have found out, you can land in prison. Our home, where we live, is subject to building regulations and we're in a conservation area. I can't do anything to the trees, and we'd love to do something to the trees in our garden, without getting permission. I know there are people who just chop them down. But as Christians, we follow the rules and the regulations, even if we're not really happy with them. That's part of our citizenship of this, uh, of this kingdom. But what about the life of Jesus? How, how, if, if we want to know how to live in his kingdom, what did, how, how did he handle it? And he had to live under Roman authority. And when he was arrested and charged, it was a... Uh, religious charge that they brought against him because under oath under tri- in trial they said tell are you the christ and he said yeah i am and they said that's blasphemy he deserves to die because in their eyes he was claiming to be god and that was blasphemous but he was also on charge for political reasons and when he's on uh, being interviewed by Pilate, uh, he said so the people say you're a king are you a king he said yes i am a king but my kingdom is not of this world. And so there's a religious and a political charge against him. And when it comes to, uh, you know, the, the, the final sentencing, Pilate says to him, don't you know I have power to condemn you? I have power to release you. And what does Jesus say? You would have no power over me unless it were given you from God. And Jesus, he submits to that human government But his primary submission is to the Father. And sometimes, very often, submission to God does mean submission to human authority. And we trust that we have a God who works out everything for good according to his will and purpose for those who love him and accord according to his purpose. So just as Jesus submitted his life into the hands of his Father, he submitted himself to the cruelty of the Romans. Jesus could have fought against that Roman authority. He said, I've got legions of angels who would come and rescue me. I don't have to go through this. But he chose to submit. But we also read in Luke chapter 6 that he rebelled. So the life of the Jews was very regulated by the religious authorities who laid down the, the rights, the customs, the traditions that they, had to, that they had to follow. And the norm was you can't work on a Sunday, so you can't pick grain. 
And then it's a sort of a setup in the synagogue, the man with the, the, the withered, the shriveled hand. And Jesus heals him on the, on the Sabbath. And, you know, they say, you can't do this. And Jesus is saying, which is more lawful? Which law overrides your law? And because of that, as it said at the end, they, they thought, what can we do with this man? And already a hatred was building up about him. If we want to look back in the Old Testament, there's the example of Daniel, which we have in chapter 6, of Luke 6, Daniel 6. And it says in um, Daniel chapter 6 that there were people who were against Daniel. He, he, he was in quite in favour with the king, but there were people who were against him and trying to, to catch him. And it says the, the the people conspiring against him said this, we will never find any basis for charges against Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So in every respect, Daniel was obeying the law and they had to find a way to challenge the law of God. So what did they do? They publish a, a new law for 30 days. Nobody may pray except to, to the king on earth. And it says very interesting, when Daniel learned that the degree had published, do you know what he went? He went home in his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem and he knelt down and prayed to God. <laughs> as soon as he heard that was published, they're not going to stop me worshipping and praying my God to my God. And that was the reason for him being thrown into the uh, into the lion's den and still today people are having to stand against ungodly dictation it was mentioned in our newspaper somebody had written in and with all the clamor and all the uh, wars and distress happening in the world they were saying have we forgotten the Christians in China and today there's a, 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 a cardinal Zen that's his name, who's 90 years old. And the Chinese government have imprisoned him. So today he's in prison because he dared to propagate the Christian faith. He was a cardinal in Hong Kong and the authorities have come in and arrested him. And sometimes as citizens of the kingdom... There needs to be an element of protest and to bring reform. We just don't roll over and say, oh, if that's what you say, that must be right. We, we, Fiona and I had a, for our wedding anniversary, we went away for a, a few days to Dudley, of all places. That's a place to go for a holiday, Dudley. But we went there because we went to the uh, Black Country Living Museum, which was fascinating. And we learned so much there. And one of the things, they have it as a living museum, so people are actually... Uh, not simulating how life was and how they worked, was what was called the white slaves of England. We didn't know about it. But in the, in the 1900s, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, women, were, women with children in baskets, babies in baskets or around them, were working in forges, making chains. Now, Ruby Jane, you've got, you've got a handmade chain, haven't you? So your uncle made you that chain and she's wearing it proudly today. But there, 
women were working 12 hours a day for peanuts in dangerous overworked conditions, making nails and chains, and they were called the white slaves of England. And there was a lady, Mary MacDonald, who led a protest and a strike. And they marched, and these women had never been on strike, they'd never stood up for their rights before, and brought about what was called the minimum wage. And Christian history is, is full of people who protest against the norms of society, of how the rulers say this is how it must be, because we want to see godliness and righteousness prevail. And still today, there are laws, there are practices, there are traditions which Christians oppose and have to oppose. Now, equally, there are laws of the land which Christians need to endorse. We've cited earlier, what difference would it make to society if people just obeyed that commandment, do not commit murder? The knife crimes in London, they're record already. I only read yesterday that in this country, every day, 300 cars are stolen what if society said, you shall not steal, you shall not covet? What would it bring about? What about the word which says, honour your father and mother? So that family life is wholesome and good again. So we don't rebel against the laws as rebels. And here, this is where we need to be very careful. I'm not just doing this because I want it my way and I don't like being told what to do. And that's where the question, which I gave the story earlier about me jumping over the turnstile, was it the right thing or the wrong thing to do? Was I just being a rebel and a strong-headed one? Or was I actually trying to bring about something which we perceived to be right? On what basis? And this is, uh, Fiona will tell me off when I get home because she said, oh, you, you only mentioned the verse right at the end. But I say all that in support of this key verse in scripture, this early Christian hymn about Jesus. And it says, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now what's that saying? That Jesus is the Lord of the Christians? It says every knee will bow. That's everybody will come to the point of saying Jesus you are Lord. Because of what? Because of, his uh, because of his death and his resurrection. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus has been declared Lord of all. And the day will come when every knee will bow. Every authority, we sang it earlier in that song, that all authority will come under his authority. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There was a preacher who went uh, to the Houses of Parliament and they have prayer meetings and all sorts of Christian things happening in the Houses of Parliament. But there was a preacher who went to the Houses of Parliament and addressed the assembly and said to them, by the authority of God's word, you are here by God's appointment. And there were some MPs who stormed out. They were furious because they said, no God has put us here. The people put us here. 
But as Christians, we believe that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to who? To Jesus. And that's where we have security and confidence that, you know, the world may seem in, comfort, in, in chaos, but our lives are safe and secure in his hands because he is in charge. And just as Jesus on his trial was able to submit himself because he'd submitted to God, so in the concourse of life, when we come against things that rile against us that we don't quite agree with, we submit our will to God and then work it out. I want to finish, and I, um, book of myself called The uh, Contemporary Christian. It's uh, worked by John Stott, who was a famous Bible teacher uh, for many years in London. Um, often, I don't like reading from books and, and sermons, but I'm going to because I can't improve on his words. And the, the, these, are, these are my last words, just a couple of sentences. The disciples of Jesus are to respect the state and within limits to submit to it, but they will neither worship it nor give it the uncritical support it covets. Indeed, when I read this, I thought, wow. Indeed, civil disobedience is a biblical doctrine. And he cites there, in, um, in South Africa, when the apartheid laws were introduced. The government issued a decree that that was to apply to the churches as well. So in the churches in South Africa, there was to be segregation of the races. And the Christian leaders wrote to the government and said, we will not and we cannot obey this. Indeed, civil disobedience is a biblical doctrine. Many examples in scripture. It arises from the affirmation that Jesus is Lord. It's clear, even though its application may involve believers in agonies of conscience. Daniel, when he was uh, released, uh, when he survived being in the lion's den, he went to the king and he said to the king, God holds me innocent. <laughs> God holds me innocent. That's how he survived the lion's den. Because God held him innocent. Even though the conspirers had made a law that, that he had broken. It involves agonies of conscience. We are to submit to the state because its authority is derived from God. And its officials are God ministers. Right up to the point where obedience to the state would involve us in disobedience to God. At that point our Christian duty is to disobey the state in order to obey God. For if the state misuses its God-given authority and presumes either to command what God forbids or to forbid what God commands, we have to say no to the state in order to say yes to Christ. And I'm sure Fiona will quote it later, next week. In the words of Peter, we must obey God rather than men. We need to think these things through because we're aware in the climate of this world the challenges are going to get greater. As far as we can, we'll be citizens of this kingdom. But we need to be trained in the word of God, in the heart of God, have our conscience re-educated into what is right in God's eyes 
and then the courage, the strong tower, to live as an alternative demonstration of what the kingdom of God is like, just as Jesus did in the synagogue, just as he did with the woman caught in adultery, just as he did when he was given the label the friend of sinners and tax collectors. This is the word of the Lord. Amen.